Hey guys, welcome back to episode two or three, I don't know when this is coming out, uh, of Criticast. And today I'm going to be joined by, once again, Kyle of Track by Track. Say hi, Kyle. Hey, everybody. And Garrett of Young Entertainment Specialist. You guys uh, saw Kyle last week, and now you're going to see uh, Young Entertainment Specialist Garrett um, at the, the, for the first time. Um, on an ap- actual episode of Criticast this week. So uh, say hi, Garrett. Hey, everyone. How y'all doing? I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so how are you guys doing? Kyle, you go first. Good, good, Sam. It's uh, it's good to be back on the show. It's uh, it's always great to get together with you and, and other music fans and, and talk about talk about the music. Yeah, and how about you, uh, Garrett? I'm great. I'm great. I have some free time away to be able to just, uh, you know, talk, talk this uh about this interesting topic that we have today it's uh something that i was looking forward to so now we're ready for it this is one of the most exciting uh times in the year for me because i finally get to start you know like uh starting to do more reviews because there's a little bit of a dead season when it hits december and early in january and now things are being released so i'm glad to start making videos again how about you guys oh for sure yeah it's 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 always that dead period at the beginning of the year but yeah it's looking forward to some new releases yeah um so let's let's just start talking about uh posthumous releases because i'm sure we're gonna have quite a few this year we know that prince as you said in your video kyle um he's gonna be releasing some stuff i i think he has he is scheduled for three albums is that right kyle there's uh some reissues that are coming out so it's just it's just albums that have been out of print but you can be guaranteed that at some point this year we'll probably hear some announcements of some additional uh, posthumous stuff, some stuff that's been in the vault that's never been released before. Yeah, I know you did, Kyle, but uh, Garrett, did you listen to Piano and a Microphone? I didn't actually get uh, put in a lot of time for that one. Uh, I think it was released on uh, – wait, what month was it released? And I'm trying to remember where I was at at that time. I think it was released in like October ish. Am I right, Kyle? That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So if, if that's the case, then I was super MIA for my YouTube channel around that time. I had uh, <laughs> had a lot of personal things I was working on, and so I wasn't really uploading uh, uh-huh. videos at the moment. So yeah, I did didn't get around to doing any listening or reviewing around that time. Yeah, I listened to it. I thought it was I thought it was pretty enjoyable um, for a posthumous release. I thought it I thought it was uh, very nice to see what uh, he had recorded because he has a lot of recordings apparently that were never released. So I'm sure, as I told you before the recording, Garrett, that they're gonna try to make as many bucks as they can off of um, his big name. So that's kind of leads into the moral discussion of posthumous releases so garrett you can go first this time um what do you how do you feel about uh labels releasing posthumous works um i feel like there uh, is a line where you can kind of draw it and i feel like you have to kind of figure that one out for yourself because there are some that are very evident that they were not um finished uh, in a sense from at least the artist's perspective, or at least from the artist's, um, effort, because 
Um, like there are plenty of others, like let's take Prince or even, you know, there was quite a few songs that Michael Jackson also had recorded back in the day that I'm sure that they, uh, well, I don't know what their plans are because it's been a little while since escape was released, but, um, they artists like that who kind of have, I don't know if you want to call it like just this undersea treasure of songs that they just said, I guess I'm not going to release this one just yet. And maybe I'm not intending on it, but I made it, so I'll just keep it. There are those, and then there's other times where the artist is in the middle of making something, and they pass away um, tragically and unexpectedly. And in that case, that's the that's the line where I'm like, well, I mean, there's maybe a there are maybe some tracks that could be released that he the whomever artist. Uh, was out there that maybe they wanted to and that's fine but if there is stuff that i feel like if they were still not maybe satisfied with what they were doing i wouldn't release it there is a little part of me i was thinking about this earlier where i thought you know what if um what if depending on the like iconicness of the artist if maybe there's some sort of musical museum of some kind where they do have preservations of future works like if they could be stored away in that and that's and i don't mean that also in like a way like that's being released but it's more of like look at what else the artist was hoping to offer us mm-hmm. and i don't feel like that's really leading us on it's kind of more like hey this person really had passion for music and we can kind of get maybe like a sample of what else they had brought to us. And maybe in that way it can inspire others just, you know, just to know that, Hey, someone else had just because tragedy befell someone else. That doesn't mean that it should stop you from, uh, uh, it should stop others from trying to pursue other things. You know, if you're in the middle of it, you keep at it. But, uh, I see, I, I won't try to ramble on too far on this, but, uh, the idea that a label, um, could still have the rights to release a lot of the music. Um, there's a fine line. I, uh, if the artist had a lot of this stuff kind of pre-made and maybe considered at one point releasing it, I think there is some legitimacy with doing that. But as far as what an artist can do, uh, what, what uh, if they release music from an artist that didn't actually have something finished completely at least for the artist's sake and for the artist's interest for their craft that one's more tricky which i kind of say no to but at the same time it's like oh there's something that maybe could be shared but eh, don't like don't make it look like it was theirs when we kind of figure it's kind of a label project at this point rather than an artist project how do you feel about it kyle well i I think that, you know, what Garrett said is, is a good point that there's that there's kind of a fine line that has to be drawn. And the problem is that for most big fans of any artist, particularly those that have passed on, um, it's not going to matter to them, line or no line, anything that's released by that artist, they're going to want it. So if you're a, a big Prince fan, and they start releasing material from the vault, those people are going to want to buy that no matter what. They're not going to probably struggle with 
the moral implications of that and and the the politics behind it of you know is who's controlling prince's legacy in that case is it the label or is it his estate and, and all of those things and that's why we see these posthumous releases because there is a market for it right or wrong people will buy this material and i think we're, all three of us are probably quote unquote guilty of that mm-hmm. you know i i don't think that i've ever let a a, a moral um, objection to prevent me from buying music I was interested in in, in in a posthumous situation. Now, when we talk about lines, though, there are things that I do find more distasteful than others. And so uh, Michael Jackson's escape, uh, Garrett mentioned, um, that one, um, I believe, wasn't that the one where they went in and they, they brought in all these other artists to finish uh, these, you know, half recorded songs that Michael Jackson did. I mean, that's what bothers me is when when you, they're not demos or they're they're polishing them up and they're 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 allegedly finishing them, and we don't know if that's anything at all like what Michael Jackson would have intended those songs to sound like. And I know that right now the same thing is happening with Prince's music that he had any number of songs that were in various states of completion and they brought in some some major musical artists like pharrell to go in there and comb through that music and say hey what have we got here that if we add some more instruments to it or bring in some more singers do some more production we can polish these up and they'll sound like brand new music for for the new age that bothers me that i don't like that because we, we're not hearing the music at that point in a way that the artist, tr- they, they truly never intended us to hear it in, in that fashion. Now, Take Piano on a Microphone by, by Prince uh, that came out last year. Um, that was a demo type recording, and it was one that was in the vault and that he you know, probably did not intend for the public to hear. But at least what we did get to hear was, was true and genuine from the artist you know warts and all and so you know you couldn't you couldn't listen to that album and complain that anybody played any studio trickery on it or you know did anything to uh to make it sound in any way you know um, insincere so i i do appreciate that i guess and and that brings me to maybe another point with a lot of these posthumous releases and that's that context matters a lot. And so I think that when you listen to piano and a microphone and similar releases like that, the context of what you're hearing is very important. You shouldn't listen to that and say, you know, oh, this isn't as good as Purple Rain or this isn't as good as Sign of the Times. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a demo that was recorded onto a cassette that was buried in the vault for you know, 30 years, and now we're hearing it today for the first time. And when you understand that context and listen to it that way, it helps you to understand Prince's artistic process. That's what a release like Piano and a Microphone means to me. It's it's understanding his creative process. It is not a, you know, glossy, completed studio recording. It's all about hearing kind of the making of those songs that that were on there and we've seen a number of artists do uh i shouldn't say the artists do but the estates it's labels 
do those types of releases posthumously where we hear early recordings and things like that. And they'll never live up to the quality of, of what we're all used to hearing on their studio albums, maybe. But it's it's kind of interesting to me to at least hear those things within that context and to say, wow, listen to how the song evolved from, you know, in the case of Prince, uh, listen to how the song evolved from, you know, this stripped down thing that he did on a piano to the full blown rocker that might have existed on one of the later albums. So um, to me, that's where the value is in, in hearing some of the posthumous stuff. Um, but I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear Pharrell on a, on a new Prince song, or I don't want to hear, you know, a duets record where we take today's hottest artists and, and have them do duets with Michael Jackson or something like that when he never had any say in the matter. Um, so I find that distasteful. But everybody's got to decide, you know, where's the line for me? And what am I going to say yes to? I'm going to absolutely buy that. And what am I going to say no? That offends me and, and I'm not going to support it by by making a purchase. Those are some very good points you have there, uh, Kyle. I, th- I For me, it's always been, uh, this is not a black and white is- issue. And I think we can all agree on that. There's certain context where, say it was Prince with that piano and the microphone. Like you said, um, that may not have been um, him wanting to release that to the public, but at least it was something that I'm pretty sure nobody came in and re-recorded his piano parts. I'm fairly, fairly, fairly sure nobody else was tracking those for him. And one thing I thought of while you were talking was um, we got, I don't know what you guys' stance on this these uh, this band, but with Metallica, we had the And Justice and All um remaster but also we had the bonus material and in that bonus material we had um the lead singer james hetfield um his riff tapes the first conceived ideas of um those riffs that he was originally writing for the album and there is definitely those riffs were definitely changed because that is my favorite metallica album so you can i could already tell like this this is not what the final product was. So what if everybody in the band was murdered at some club show that they were doing, not a stadium show that they were doing, sorry, wrong timeline. But, and they released those riff tapes and they just record, uh, maybe even had somebody re-record the riffs and those weren't the finished product. That might be what happens with somebody like another artist you guys, I don't know your stance on, but like XXX Tentacion, he had his guitar parts um, and, and I said this in my review, we don't know if he um, intended on releasing that music. So it, is it really right for them to release it? And the Little Peep album and the XXX Tentacion album, say what, whatever you want about those albums, um, they were very clear cash grabs, less so on the Little Peep album because he was planning on releasing that. But I I do kind of get a, real, a weird feeling about listening to um, even piano on a microphone, because you know that this artist had died, and you know that Prince had tons and tons of tapes of just old material. And Michael Jackson with the same thing. Um, he even had more. His estate apparently has just like hundreds and thousands of like live performances. They were recording almost all of the live performances um, when he, once he got you know big. So when he was like eleven, and they were doing, they were recording all the songs before and just keeping these ideas. And like you said, Kyle, again, um, 
they had other artists come on to the ex- Escape album. And that's where it kind of starts crossing the fine line. When somebody else is finishing Michael Jackson's art for him, that I don't I think that's where it like really, really crosses the line of that's not a like with that album, I've never even thought of it as really a Michael Jackson album. I thought of it as a Michael Jackson project, like the new Kid See Ghost album. Like if Kid Cuddy died right before and he had was singing most of the choruses on that album and then Kanye comes in and just puts his raps um, by it is that really a Kid Cudi project or is that um, sorry a Kid Cudi album or a Kid Cudi project I always kind of think of those as different things so um, what is your guys's first take on if an artist has their album finished after they are dead but not by them if it's finished after they're dead after yeah, like if like like if Pharrell, uh, like Kyle said, um, finished it for them. I think it depends on how close, the, like the producers or the uh, instrument, uh, not instruments, uh, musicians are with them. Like, I'll take a, I'll take a, an example. Probably neither of you have heard. Um, so there's, uh, are you? Uh, let's see. There's a subgenre of hip hop called uh, lofi lo-fi and uh yeah and uh chill hop and uh, one of the biggest influences is nuja best and he's from uh, tokyo japan and he passed away back in 2010 he's only like 36 years old and uh his last album came out the next year in 2011 and it was finished technically by his friends it was if i understand correctly mostly finished by him but there were little things and it's not hugely lyrical. It's definitely a lot more instrument and production oriented, but you know, occasionally it has like some, I don't know if it's lyrics or if it's chants or something in the background, but it did get a lot of, uh, I mean, the music itself is highly praised by those who appreciate the subgenre. and, um, see if I get, yeah, I got the quote right here, actually. Uh, the word that people would just say the perfect flow follow-up uh, to Nujibes's previous projects, and it's a gem. So, I mean, the people who were probably with them, I would assume were really close and could kind of get an idea. And I'm sure that maybe, you know, it could have steered away from maybe a few of the ideas, but I think overall it did finish the final project. Uh, that being said, more in the mainstream world, I'm not entirely sure how that works um, because... I mean, because New Jabez's projects are a lot more for a niche kind of uh, a niche kind of audience. When we're talking about producers like Pharrell Williams and just others who have those connections and have those influences to be able to say, "Hey, I can get this uh, done." Uh, like, I just want to know. Okay, well, like how close are you to it or are you just coming along for the ride to be able to put your name next to it? So I think it's just dependent on the relationship for those who want to finish it. If they feel like it should be finished. Kyle, I'll let you uh, go right after I say this. Um, For me, it's like going back to, to like, if it's a band and the vocalist dies, say the vocalist has already recorded his parts 
the band, I think, could probably, you know, release that material if they just tracked their guitar parts or their drum parts or their bass parts later. But if it's if it's a Pharrell situation where, say, some artist dies, Michael Jackson, um, and then Pharrell comes in, I don't know if he was the one who did that. I'm just using him as a prop right now. But say he comes in and finishes the album for him. I, I don't think that's it's definitely not the same thing because I think the band has a little bit more rights, but when it's a solo artist, that's even more close cut to the line. Well, I think you've got a great point there, Sam. And and in fact, the the, the timing of our recording of this episode is um, coincidental to uh, something that's happening in music today. Um, So speaking of band situations today uh, would be the one year anniversary of the death of Dolores O'Riordan, who was the lead singer for the group, the Cranberries. And that band today has announced that they will be releasing their final album with Dolores doing vocals on it uh, later this year. And they released the first single from that album today. So how that has come to pass is that uh, over a year ago, uh, she was working on demos with one of the, with the guitarist from the band, uh, recorded demos for about a dozen songs for a new Cranberries album. So she recorded uh, vocals for all of those songs and then rough instrumental parts so that they could take it to the band and say, okay, here's the songs that we've written. Now let's go into the studio and really hammer these things out. And then uh, on January 15th of 2018, uh, she passed away. And so now the band has taken those vocals that she recorded in those demos. And with the blessing of her family, they've gone ahead and completed those songs. They've recorded all of the instrumentation for those songs the way that the band would have done it had she still been with them in the studio. And then today... Uh, the single that we're hearing and, and all the songs that will be on the album in April when that comes out are all going to be Dolores singing on them. Now, they're not going to be the vocal performances that she would have wanted if she'd been uh, able to go into the studio and, and truly do it to the best of her ability. But uh, from what I heard on the single that came out today, it sounds good. It's uh, it's you know It's a solid uh, Cranberry song and it makes me want to hear more. So here's a situation, Sam, like you mentioned, where it's a band. They were a four-piece unit. One of them passed away. And in this case, of course, a lead singer is a, that's a, tough, that's a tough situation when a lead singer of a band passes away. How do they continue on? And so the band uh, discussed that situation and, and with her family, and they said, we feel like what Dolores would want is for those last songs that she wrote to be heard and for for, for that that Cranberries album that she was anticipating to work on would ultimately still be created. So there's a situation where you have the will of of the surviving members of the band and they're you know they're having to to guess what Dolores would have wanted and I think they guessed correctly. That, uh, that she would want them to finish those songs. Now, will there be more you know, unreleased material that they'll pull from the vaults in the future? We don't know. What will happen to the Cranberries? Is this 
truly the final album? Will the band break up after this? Will they get a different singer? Who knows? Uh, that's a that's a debate for another episode, I suppose. But um, I do think that when you have members of a band pass away, um, you know, it, it brings in a different a different situation. And I'm not talking about bands that continue on after a member dies, like The Who, for example. Um, but you know, in, in this case, if the Cranberries were going to continue to try to pull stuff out that Dolores was a part of, then it, it, it's going to be that moral question of should we continue to try to, to resurrect her, her vocals on, on as much music as possible in the years ahead. Do you feel that it's okay to review posthumous music? Okay, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the, like the two or three uh, artists that I feel a lot more near and dear to me right now. And uh, if, uh, oh boy, that would be a little weird thinking about it, thinking about like, what, how would I review it based on the idea that maybe it was incomplete? It, would I want to do that? Or maybe would I just give my thoughts on just like, do I enjoy what we got? I don't know if, if I necessarily, although, you know, my version is a little different. In a way, it's a grade, but it's more of a recommendation. Um, so it would kind of be more like, I feel like I would just maybe have the interest to talk about it, but I don't know if reviewing it would really do it justice, just depending on how much of it was actually done by the artist itself. How about you, Kyle? So we, we talked about Prince's piano and a microphone and I did review that album, uh, on my channel. And for me, it comes back to what I mentioned earlier and that's context, I think that if you want to take a piano and a microphone or any release similar to that and review it as just, well, here's an album and this is what I, how I would rate it compared to other albums, um, I don't think that's necessarily fair. I think that you have to look at it in the context of what it is, and it is a demo recording. Uh, it's, a, it's a low fidelity cassette recording. And so in the context of that, how is it? And not just in the context of that, but also in the context of who's the market for this album. And I think that if, if your record collection contains, you know, a couple hundred CDs and among those CDs, you have purple rain and you have Prince's greatest hits and, you know, maybe one other Prince album. If that's the amount of Prince music that you have in your music collection, piano and a microphone is not for you it is for the fans it's for the people who have a lot of prince music already it's for the people who have everything he's ever released and so for those people it hardly matters what kind of review i would give them but they're going to buy it anyway but if you're if you liked purple rain and you're going oh look here's this prince album they've released after his death i wonder if i should buy it i'm probably going to tell you no you probably shouldn't because if he's not one of your favorite artists, I don't think you're going to listen to this thing very much. But let's talk about another artist. One of my favorites is Jeff Buckley. And Jeff Buckley recorded an incredible album uh, in the 90s called Grace. Uh, it ends up on a lot of critics' you know, 100 best albums of all time lists. I absolutely love the album Grace by Jeff Buckley. And that was his first album. And as he was working on the follow-up to Grace, he drowned to death. And so he never did get to finish that himself. And so what happened was 
uh, the, the people who the studio and the other people who were working on it took all of the in progress recordings for the album that was supposed to be called Sketches. Uh, it's supposed to be called uh, Sketches for My Sweetheart or something like that, and they turned it into the the album uh, Sketches for My Sweetheart, The Drunk, and it's a it's a double album uh, of completed songs uh, that the band members and everyone else finished off after Jeff Buckley's death. And so I had to have it because I'm a big Jeff Buckley fan. And I think that on, uh, on the whole, it still works as a, as a decent enough album because it isn't a demo. They've, they've polished it all off. Um, but am I necessarily going to say, Oh, and I, I recommend it to anyone and everyone. Not necessarily. And, Jeff Buckley is also one of these artists who has been, his estate has been criticized for the last two decades, I guess, for continuing to dig into the archives and continue to try to release uh, posthumous material and to keep that going. Um, so far, I haven't found anything that they've done in that regard to be distasteful. Uh, and I bought all of it. And I, if they find more interesting material, I'll, I'll buy that too. Uh, but, you know, it's he's definitely someone that they talk about, especially when you consider, like I said, he only released one album when he was alive. And since then, there's been, I don't know, there's probably a dozen CDs worth of material that's been released since his death. So that's pretty remarkable when you think about it. Garrett, do you have artists who have like that are really near and dear to your heart who have released uh, posthumous music that you a were kind of in a weird way? I hate to say it like this, but were offended by because they released something that you thought was bad or you didn't enjoy. Or on the flip side, have you have any of your favorite artists um, again that are near and dear to your heart? Have you enjoyed some of their posthumous releases? The only one I can really think about. Uh, I mean, let's see ones that I've kind of have somewhat of an affinity for, uh, in like in that regard that I can think of, uh, one is Ray Charles, um, uh, his, uh, genius loves company, uh, album was released. I, I don't have too many like recollections and memories with that one. So I don't really want to mention, talk about that one too much, but I, I just wanted to say like, uh, I think Ray Charles did a good job, but, um, uh, I actually do have an interest in the Escape album now. Not, uh, I haven't listened to that one a lot, but if you do look at the album as a whole, there are the uh, original versions of it. I'm not saying that those were entirely complete, but they did say, "Okay, well, here's how it either sounded or was kind of the idea of how it sounded." And then you know you have the added on releases and. Uh, just, uh, the most common one, let's take that example was, um, uh, what was it called? Love never felt so good that added Justin Timberlake. That one, I don't really have too much of a problem with just because of the relationship that they kind of had. If you go back and look at it, Michael Jackson was kind of the reason that JT went solo from NSYNC. And so they kind of have this, so the solo rising up to the top kind of relationship. So I see a connection with it i'm not a, but i also see like hmm yeah but is that what he wanted i don't know i i don't really have too many of those uh examples uh and uh i'll use one one other short um 
example, uh, the Nujabes uh, artist I mentioned earlier, I I never listened to his music when he was alive. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know about this subgenre before. So for me, anything that is even remotely related to his name and his brand, I go for. So I have researched some of the things that he has done when he was alive, but it's a it's a really big cultural phenomenon to just include Nujabes in the conversation of this because I mean the genre itself is really relaxing. It's really it's got so much creative depth into it that it doesn't feel like it needs to, but the but the artists besides him and including him who pull it off really well, you just get mad props for so so i'm not really sure if i have like the strongest emotions in that regard entirely but those are just kind of some of the experiences that i've gone through my head um i'm michael jackson i have a weird kind of fascination with his music um starting about three months ago i've always liked thriller and i've always liked all the singles um because it's kind of hard to avoid them. But now I just love, you know, reading about him um, and all the creative things that he did. And then his whole library that I feel that he's a very interesting character. Um, his later stuff, I think, kind of went down in quality um, for sure. It's kind of hard to uh, stay on the same level as Thriller, which I think literally every song on that album is a hit and then half of that is also hits so um it's it's kind of a hard to uh match what with what you did with those two albums because he can literally play i think most of the songs on both those two albums fill up a concert and still have everybody singing along because they're all hits um but yeah, he is a fascinating character to me. Kyle, do you have anything to say about what uh, Garrett just said? Well, I think that um, something that's that I've been thinking about here is that I think that when it comes to posthumous releases, um, you know, maybe it's important to uh, to think about those things in in, in different categories because um, you know when it comes to say Michael Jackson's escape album where people went in there and they took, uh, you know, incomplete recordings and finished them. I think that falls into a, you know, a single category of, of posthumous releases, right? That, that falls into this category where it's incomplete music that's been made complete after the artist's death. That's one thing. And, and, and I think that, you know, it's probably the one category that people may find the most distasteful. Uh, but then there's also uh, a couple other categories that I would bring up, which is uh, with Prince, piano and a microphone, we're talking about demo recordings, early recordings. Uh, those are things where it is truly genuinely the artist, uh, but they weren't necessarily recordings that were intended to be uh, put out on an album. But, you know, it's it's legit. It's them. And so, you know, in demo form, and I think that in that context, it helps us to understand the artist. So I think that's another category. A third category that, that I don't think we've really talked much about here is live recordings. 
because that's, I think, where we tend to see actually the most posthumous releases is where the estates say, okay, well, they're obviously not going to be recording any new albums. We probably don't have a whole lot of demo material. We don't have a lot of incomplete stuff. So the one thing that we have that we can continue to release and try to continue to generate money off of is recordings of concerts that the artists performed in while they were alive. So, you know, that's that's something that I think we probably see the most of when it comes to posthumous releases is, you know, oh, here's another concert recording from the vault that was, you know, here's a 1975 concert by such and such artist. Um, that's that's the kind of thing that, that estates are going to be just continually churning out because it, it may be all that they have. And again, you know, are you going to be offended by that? Because it is legitimately... Uh, it's, it's that artist, it's them performing, uh, and there's no fancy trickery happening there. Uh, but, but what a lot of people look at that and get offended by is they say, well, you're just, you're just grave robbing. You're just, you know, continually looking for, for anything and everything that you can put out, even if it isn't the best. So they may say, yeah, sure. It's, it's, it's the artist and it's a legitimate concert recording, but it's not there. It's not a very good performance or you know, if the artist was alive today, they never would have allowed this concert to come out because they wouldn't have felt like it was a good performance and things like that. But, um, but still, I think it's it's a category that we have to recognize. So, um, you know, it's the other, again we early in the in the episode here. Garrett talked about where do you draw your line, uh, and so for some people, you know, they, they may say my line my line is drawn on those incomplete recordings. I don't want to hear you know, people coming in and finishing those songs, but I'm okay with demos or I'm okay with the live recordings. Kyle, do you have any artists um, who, like the same question I asked Garrett, who you've been offended by um, some of their posthumous works and how they were released or the intention of uh, how they were released? Or on the flip side, again, uh, have you like really, really enjoyed, treasured, and loved something that was posthumous. Well, so far, um, I'll say that I I wasn't a big fan of what they did with Michael Jackson on Escape. Um, and and Garrett, you mentioned the the two different versions of Love Never Felt So Good, the one with JT and the one without. I do appreciate that they put both of those versions out there. And and truth of the matter is that song is a jam. And and you know even. Even, even if I felt a little bit offended by the fact that Justin Timberlake sang on that song after Michael Jackson died, that's a god good song. So, I mean, maybe maybe I'm willing to forgive it for that, but um, I'm glad that we haven't seen much else come out of the Michael Jackson estate because I am concerned that it's going to turn into Frankenstein's monster where it's just going to be patching things together that were never supposed to be there in the first place. Um, I'm worried about what may happen with Prince's music. Uh, piano and a microphone at the very least was, as I said, a very sincere effort, but what's going to happen to the uh, incomplete stuff that the artists are working on now, um, that stuff could, could put a bad taste in my mouth. So I'm certainly worried about that. A lot of the artists that I'm into um, since I'm younger than both of you um, are 
artists who are now dead, and a lot of their music isn't posthumous. Um, but now a lot of these artists are having pot uh, that have, I guess, died early are having um, some posthumous works released. Like um, I believe Chris Cornell. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Soundgarden, so I, I'm not, you know, I'm not big into him or Audio Slave, so I don't really know this uh, hard facts. But I believe he does have a posthumous, um, some posthumous tapes that are coming out, uh, or already have come out. Am I right? Do any of you guys know? Just about before that? Christmas, yeah, just before Christmas, they put out a a box set of uh, Chris Cornell, uh, some unreleased stuff and some rarities. I thought that was a compilation. But I guess I'm wrong. Well, I, I think it was. I think it had a lot of his uh, solo stuff, but then they they also filled it up with uh, some unreleased material as well. So, mm. but again, that's a that's a perfectly good example. That's a good timely example of of someone that died very recently, and you know, here at the end of the year, they were scrambling to put together uh, this this release that would, you know say, hey, here's some of the songs he did that we all know and love, but here's a bunch more that we can add on to this that um, that, that no one's ever heard before. Um, another example of posthumous releases, or something that's maybe not even posthumous, but something I do, uh, I hate to use the word call out, um, it's very juvenile, um, and I don't mean to kind of be shots fired, um, but I am the only one saying this here on this podcast. This is all Sam. None of these people are involved. There is this YouTuber named Rockfeed, and he does uh, music news, uh, more specifically rock and metal news. Do you guys know of him? I'm not familiar with him, actually. Kyle, how about you? I'm not. Well, um, I used to kind of like his stuff, and now he has quickly become my least one of my least favorite YouTubers because <sighs> Chester... Chester Bennington died about a year and a half ago, I believe, um, of Lincoln Park, uh, if you guys don't know, and he committed suicide. So it's a very tender, kind of sensitive subject. And Rockfeed, um, I can't remember what his real name is, because um, I'm not really obsessed or anything, but he, almost one-fourth of his catalog now has become um, videos about Chester Bennington's death and then videos about Mike Shinoda, um, the his, I guess, uh, co-worker, <laughs> sorry, bandmate, I don't know, I lost the word, he was the second most prevalent member in the band, and it's just all about those two artists, most of his stuff is now becoming about that, and I feel it's very exploitive, um, that's what I have trouble saying, but I feel it's exploiting his death, and I really don't like it when people obsess over people's death. I remember I was just a wee little lad when Michael Jackson died um, almost 10 years ago. I'm actually planning to maybe do an episode um, on one of his albums, one of his classic albums, hopefully to come out on like June 15th when he died about 10 years ago. And I was like five, I believe. And this is when Michael Jackson died. So I remember the news was just crazy about all Michael Jackson stuff. And um, there still is a decent amount of news coverage um, and articles. Like you just look, if you look at Michael Jackson, there's five articles a day just about him, his death, people surrounding his death, people commenting on his death, and the things, uh, allegations of misconduct from him. Um, 
So he's still a very uh, big story, I guess you can say. Not as pe- many people are reading about it, thank God, because that's another thing that's exploit uh, exploitive. But th- it's just I don't like it when media obsesses over an artist's death. Kurt Cobain, great example. Um, big fan of Nirvana. Don't know about you guys. Um, but I really hate how it's very obsessive over how his Kurt – uh, Kurt's death and how you know how it all went down and people are always trying to find new things you know they're trying to be the one who uncovered the story of how you know Courtney Love actually had him killed because he was on too much heroin at the time to even pull the trigger and all this stuff and well I think there is a conversation to be had there I get so sick and tired of people obsessing over it so um Kyle you or Garrett you can go first but um, how, how do you guys feel about that? Like just the obsession aspect of it? Yeah, the obsession and like coverage of artists um, even 10 years after they are gone and just uh, harping on it. Uh, okay, so from the perspective of uh, coming from media and content creators, um, I think – I'll take an example. Just if you just simply had a friend or a relative pass away and that's going to sting for a while for you, but how often are you legitimately talking about it to the point where it's almost kind of annoying the people you're dealing it with? Everyone's going to be like, everyone's going to feel for you. But at the same time, it's like, it's not, it's not about getting over it. It's about how do you personally move on because you still have to have a life because you have yours and you can't just let the death of one person drag you down each and every day. So in the same aspect that if you are, uh, if there's an artist that you feel like their music or their influence, their platform had some sort of some, some connection, something that spoke to you and, you know, they can no longer create something that you, well, either if you relied on or you just simply enjoyed, then that's something that you're just going to have to accept. Of course you, you never have to say like, I'm over it. Like you don't have to utter those words out loud, but there does come a time where you have to say, you know, maybe there's something else that I can kind of draw myself to. Maybe there's something else that I can take from this. Maybe there's something a little bit more positive and, you know, maybe, Oh, it's you know, uh, and maybe there's just something that, uh, maybe there's something that, you can in a way take a relation to, but don't actually have to vocally say it. Maybe you can deal with the same genre of music or maybe other bands that they were close to. I don't know. It's like, if there's a way to turn the subject around to make it a positive and rather than make it seem like, Oh, well, this is the big thing. And I know that you're going to listen to this because, you know, it's dependent on this person who was a really big deal. Because the, I get the exploitative factor to it. And I mean, for those who were really truly fans of, you know, whomever it was that might have passed on, 
Um, it's yeah. Oh, it's 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 really just uh, it's really just uh, it's just it's just a, you know it's simply that it's just a fact of life. It's just something that happens, and we all have to deal with it in some way. But we don't have to create an unhealthy obsession over it, whether it's consumers or commentators. Um, I have something to, I have two things to say, and then Kyle, you can go next. But um, it's kind of like in movies how a lot of plots, I guess, murder mysteries start out with, say there's this guy who's grown up and his dad died, you know, a month earlier, and then he gets this you know, autistic obsession with finding out, no, my dad didn't actually kill himself. He was too happy. So I'm going to, you know, go find the murderer. And then, of course, in this perfect reality, he finds the murderer. It's all sad. But at the end of the day, justice is had. Um, it's kind of like that. And I feel like sometimes it's kind of like that with the media and how they kind of try to look for something that's really not there. But another thing is when somebody, when an artist dies, a lot of times I feel they get what, 100% more credit um, than they had when they were alive? Here's two great examples. Um, I think I might have mentioned Little Peep and uh, XXXTentacion earlier. Those guys had a lot of fans each before, but when they both died, uh, seemingly close to around the same time, somewhat, I believe, they both shot up. Like XXX, he was probably working on like 15 million listeners on Spotify. Um, and he dies, and he's at 29. And people are putting in their Instagram bios and their, you know, Facebook profiles and their Twitter. They're posting, you know, X died too young. It was all, you know, he was such a young artist, and he died too young, which I think is very fair. Um, I'm not criticizing that aspect of remembering them. But I think if you can go around to, let's say, the age of 17 to about... 11, you can, uh, there's a very good chunk of people's uh, social media that is saying, you know, X died too young, rip, Tentacion. Same thing goes for Little Peep too, not as on a big of a scale. Um, and going back to Kurt Cobain, it's the same thing. I think Kurt Cobain, if he was still alive today, would not maybe be as big. Um, and maybe the conversation wouldn't be around with him because not only would, you know, maybe he releases a bad album or does something bad and people don't like him anymore. He's not this tortured artist because he was always kind of a tortured soul as people like to call it. And he was writing, you know, dark, sad, depressing lyrics, but him dying almost solidifies everything he wrote depressing and his songs, the songs that he, you know, was very clearly mentioning his depression and his mental state and being all sad in his music. Um, I feel that is another thing I'm also not sure about because I feel like sometimes we don't let the artist rest um, and we just <laughs> just kind of keep in the same vein of media. Um, but fans are very uh, also obsessive about the artist dying. And they are also trying to find reasons. And also, um, I guess, in some senses, acting like the artist never did anything wrong. Um, I don't know if this is a good point to make or if I'm being a little insensitive here. But like XXXTentacion, he did a lot of bad stuff. 
when he was alive. Attempted murder, um, I think fraud maybe, I think it was. Um, and then he domestic two counts of domestic abuse, um, two counts of uh, attempted murder, and then tampering with evidence. <laughs> those are those are um, serious crimes. <laughs> Enough that maybe he would have gone to prison if he wasn't, you know, uh, as big as he was. And I, I feel like people just immediately forget that stuff, and they start pretending that X was the most angelic human being to ever live, and all he ever did was give to charity and stuff. And I think that's another way of tainting somebody's um, memory. I wasn't alive when Kurt Cobain was around, and I'm I, I'm pretty sure he did a lot of um, uh, bad things um, while he was alive, but we don't remember it like that. And maybe it's another form of just letting somebody rest, just not remembering that. But I feel a lot of times we change the perspective of somebody. It's kind of like... Um, that's not, I won't, I won't go there, but do you guys know what I'm saying or do you agree or am I wrong completely? Let me know. Well, I think that, um, Kurt Cobain's a, a good example of something, which is that, um, when you have artists who die young, who die relatively early into their careers, um, it, it does something to, to their to their legacy and maybe to say it does something, what it actually does is it creates that legacy. Sam, I think you're right that if Kurt Cobain had not died, that um, we, we might not look at him if he was alive today, the same way that, that so many people do now. He has been, been idolized because of his premature death. And there wasn't, an enormous volume of music behind him yet. So um, his his legacy is is much bigger than his actual volume of music might justify. And I think that we've seen that with with some other artists as well. Um, uh, Amy Winehouse is someone who uh, is talked about a lot, not on the same level as Kurt Cobain, but you know she died very young and, and had very little music out uh, when that happened, but now it's she's because she died at such a young age, uh, it has elevated her life and music to a level that I don't know that it necessarily would have been at if she just continued to survive and make music. But then you have artists like Johnny Cash or Bob Marley or Jim Morrison of The Doors who uh, have become these iconic figures. Uh, maybe Johnny Cash isn't the best example because he had a very long career, but uh, Bob Marley is one of the highest grossing musical artists every year. His estate sells millions of records every year or streams millions of songs every year. He's one of the top grossing musical artist and has been since he died. And that's amazing when you think about it. And so would Bob Marley be, you know, the Bob Marley that we all think of, this legendary uh, uh, persona, had he not died at, at a younger age? And I'm not sure that that would be the case. I'm not sure that 
the college students would have Bob Marley posters on their walls in 2019 had Bob Marley not died back in what 1980. So um, that's that death creates that legacy. We've certainly seen that with Kurt Cobain. I believe we've seen that with Bob Marley and any number of other artists. And and will that happen with Lil Peep and with XSX Tentacion? It's I think it's too soon to tell, but there's certainly a chance. Uh, before you go, Garrett. Uh, I just have a, a mental list here of some really small artists who died prema- uh, prematurely, and I don't think they've ever reached the uh, level of success they probably deserved. Let's go. Uh, let's read. Bob Marley, Jimi Hendrix, John Legend, Kurt Cobain, <laughs> XXX, Dacion. Um, let's let's look here. Um, so many. I can't. I, I don't think we should go on a, a tangent here, but. These are some of the biggest artists uh, to ever walk the earth. Um, and if they, I think what you said, just on a larger scale, like would Jimi Hendrix be as big as he was if he hadn't died um, at the age of 27? Would Amy Winehouse, would, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, that's definitely, you know, a conversation to be had. Maybe on another podcast episode, like uh, would they hold up today? <laughs> hate to go like fine brothers like that but um yeah garrett you can go next um so basically just commenting on i want to comment mostly on the uh let them rest um phrase you used because in the kind of on-demand age we're living in what i don't necessarily believe it's all people but it's definitely people in the social media realm in the uh, get the subscription here and now kind of thing. Uh, they want to know who has, who has the know, who has the news, who has the info, who has the, the scoop on what more can we learn about what happened with the artists, more of their background, their music, their death, etc. And then there is a point where I know we have to talk about that stuff because you know, it's relevant, it's news, but there is a point where we can't keep milking it out. There's a point where we have to say this. Yes. Let's recognize this person was gifted. This person had touched the, the lives and hearts of thousands, if not millions of people in a country or around the world, however you, whoever that might be. But there is a point where you have to be like, Let's take it down a notch. Not because, not because um, uh, they don't deserve the attention, but because it's we. There is a point where I feel like in certain realms, certain uh, circles, it's not about the honor of the person. It's about the coverage. So there is a point where we can make maybe a really simple 10 minute um, or less memorabilia or uh, a memory that someone can share, whether it is on a super mainstream platform or on a, uh, or on a, you know, a a channel like any of ours. Uh, But it's, but there is a point where we have to be like, Hey, you know, that's just part of it. 
So it's for our own sake, but it's also for the sake of saying, Hey, don't make this person, don't make this music, this idol, this, whatever it is, consume you to the point where it's overbearing and almost distasteful at, at that point it could become, because that's not what we remember music for. And I mean, it's the same thing. I would think it's kind of the same reason why certain people who do have an actual appreciation for real legitimate music get turned off by the incredible, by certain songs that get way too much repetition on radio or in malls or wherever you hear it because it becomes one, either it is bad music or two, it's distasteful because of the lack of hey, you're, we're just going to shove this on you. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times that is kind of harmful. Um, like what I said, you need to let the artist rest. And I think in both cases, you shouldn't bring up their, like hold their misconduct or their illegal activity or uh, immoral stuff they did in their lives like, up against their head. And, you know, just say to fans, oh, oh you think, um, you think this artist is good? Well, you know, guess what he did? Don't be, um, what's a word I can say here? You know what I mean? Um, don't be like that. But, but I think it's kind of harmful to let other people remember, like, like I said earlier, I'm not sure exactly what Kurt Cobain did. I'm sure he did something and I have like read articles about stuff that he did that people, uh, were calling him out on, you know, 20 years later or whatever it's been. Um, um, but I feel like just me not knowing it, if there is anything, I think that's kind of harmful because if I look up, you know, to Kurt Cobain, um, which is probably not a good idol to have, but if I look up to him, you know, I think it's fair for people, especially the impressionable youth to, you know, not look at an artist as a signal of virtue, hope, and all good things and, you know, rose petals and rainbows um, because you don't want somebody looking up to somebody who didn't do good things. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, I guess this is kind of irrelevant in politics, but like Andrew Jackson, who is um, a lot of people are now are realizing, you know, what a, what horrible acts he did. Um, but you know, go back a hundred years. I'm, there's tons of people who look up to Andrew Jackson, uh, as a good president. Um, no matter what he did for the country, uh, that, yeah, we all live in. So, but he also did a lot of bad things to Native Americans and such. And so that's a, a weird example to make, um, maybe uh, not as relevant as I would hope for it to be, but we don't want people looking up to, peop, uh, to people who did bad things. Um, like, uh, what's Columbine? Um, there's people throwing Marilyn Manson, whatever you have to say on his music, but throwing him, you know, he caused Columbine, or this artist, Slipknot, caused Columbine, like that kind of stuff. Um whether that's true or not, you don't want people, um, impressionable youth, to look up to people um, with violent music or violent uh, anything or anything in their past and think that that's okay because they look up to that artist um, or get something from it that's simply not true and do a horrible act like shoot up a school. Well, you know, and I think we're getting into a, a little bit of a different territory. Um, yeah. 
as we as we talk about well, you know, Marilyn Manson's slipknot that you just mentioned. Of course, these are both artists that are they're still alive, still with us, but there's certainly a a cultish response that we've seen to artists both dead and alive, but uh, you know, I I don't the, the artists that are still with us today would and, and can speak for themselves would probably say, Hey, I I don't want to be I don't want to be idolized in a certain way. You know, Marilyn Manson is not going to say, yes, I want you to associate me with violence, school shootings and things like that. But I think that, um, that it's also fair to say that neither Kurt Cobain nor Bob Barley would have wanted their legacies to be immortalized on our t-shirts and posters on our walls and any number of other bits of memorabilia. That's not how they want to be remembered. And so that kind of, you know, maybe brings us a little bit full circle as we started talking in the beginning of this episode about, you know, posthumous releases where, you know, what would the artist have wanted? And ultimately, I would like to think that the artist would have wanted their art to have been the thing that spoke for them uh, in you know, in, in the ongoing cycle of life, you know, that, that Prince has left us, but he would absolutely want us to continue to play Purple Rain, Sign of the Times, or you know, any of our favorite Prince albums. He would want us to continue to go back and listen to those. Would he have wanted us to hear the stuff that's in the vault? I don't know, and that's a question that we all have to, to cope with. But um, I, I think certainly what he, he would not have been interested in would be, you know, all the merchandising and t-shirts and things which has yet to come um or god help us a uh, a hologram concert you know like they're doing with uh the notorious bmg and some other uh, tupac i think and, and other artists um you know that's that really feels like that's way past the line of, of good taste um that's that's not how these artists want to in fact, like Kurt Cobain, one of the reasons he killed himself was he didn't want to be in the spotlight. He, you know, he didn't really want the fame and everything that came with it, as the famous Queen uh, line goes: "Fame and fortune and everything that comes with it." Um, yeah, but um, you know, it, it, there's definitely um, a lot of conversation to be had, and I think we did. Uh, in this episode, a good job of talking about it. We uh, we kind of did jump around from topic to topic, but I think we did have a, a good and wholesome and hopefully interesting uh, conversation on it. So, if you guys uh, if you guys have any final remarks, so we can close up this episode and keep it at a somewhat moderate length, uh, feel free to uh, say something. Well, I think kind of like I said in the, in the beginning of the episode is that everybody has to decide for themselves what. Um, you know, what do they feel about some of these posthumous releases? What, Where's the line for them? Um, and, and where are they as a fan? Uh, how do they want to celebrate uh, that artist? And is, is that something that they want to do, is to hear demo recordings or old live recordings? If, if they feel like that's a good tribute to the artist, then, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, it's, it's going to continue to happen. We're going to continue to see as... 
uh, as time goes on, more and more artists will, will leave us and more and more posthumous releases will become commonplace, uh, like it or not. So um, I think that the thing that I would, uh, we, we've talked about this several times in the past hour or so about you know, what would have happened to these artists if they, if they survived and kept on recording, and we'll never know. Uh, but it goes back to the, the lyric from, from a Neil Young song where he said, is it better to burn out than to fade away? And and so that's what we're really dealing with a lot of times with posthumous releases is the artists that burned out because uh, they didn't get a chance to fade away, and so you know that's that's what their legacies are going to be built on the short, bright burn that they had uh, compared to other artists that have you know long decades long careers before they they pass on and. Uh, I mentioned Johnny Cash earlier. I mean, the man lived a very long and, and productive life, had a, had a career that spanned decades. Yes, we had posthumous releases from him, but I think that most people would say, hey, you know what? There's dozens of things he released when he was alive that we can celebrate, uh, even without the posthumous stuff. So um, to each their own, I, I think, is what it comes down to. Garrett, you can go now. Uh I don't really have too much really to say on that, uh, but I did want to mention something about um, the, the people who appreciate the music. So I haven't really incorporated this yet into my channel, but it is something I plan on doing. I kind of want to take an idea where I talk about there's this word that we use in music or anything really revolving around entertainment. Give you an example of what you're really talking about. So I'll use an example here. So in music, we have a thing. We've been talking about fans of the music. But there's also, in my mind, uh, a fan is not the same as some of the people who are those who are buying everything from uh, someone uh, as soon as they pass away. Uh, those people kind of might, in my mind, be more of a fanatic. So I see people who gush over an artist more of more as a fanatic and someone who appreciates the music as a fan. And there's a fine line where, in my mind, it's okay to be either or. But if we really want to claim to be a fan of an artist, someone who can really, we can say, hey, we, 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 we like the music we also have some respect for them and a little self-respect for ourselves. Then you can kind of differentiate that. And maybe we can probably have, we can probably look back at ourselves and think maybe we have a better idea uh, of how we're, uh, how we're going to uh, look at these situations with a uh, music release like this. Maybe we'll have a better idea of, okay, yeah, maybe if we really respect it, or at least the artist or their family, whoever it is in the situation, maybe we'll have a better idea of how to understand that context of the music that's released, whether it was post-production, made before, or live concert, all those different scenarios that we can uh, see. Maybe we have a better understand understanding of how that will reflect on ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... I don't know if we want to go into specifics, but like 
uh, I guess shout out to all the artists that we like uh, that are gone and that have meant a lot to us, I guess. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, guys, I think that's where we're gonna end it for this episode on posthumous uh, releases, music that has also been released by artists that are now gone. It, hopefully you guys enjoyed our conversation here uh, and you maybe took something away from it. And if you feel that we missed something or you want to share your opinion, feel free to do it down in the comments or tweet to us at Criticast, uh, Pod on Twitter um, or shoot us an email. All those uh, links and information are down in the description. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, yeah, go follow both these guys and subscribe to their channels. Uh, for Garrett, uh, he is the owner of the channel Young Entertainment Specialist. Uh, y- yes, for short. So his link is in the description. And same on Twitter uh, for Promote Yes and Instagram. Kyle, he's on uh, Track by Track on YouTube. They both have great channels. And he, uh, Kyle is on um, Twitter at uh, tra- Track by Track there too. So, yeah, thanks, guys, for uh, sticking around with us. And, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, you guys enjoyed. We'll see you next week on the Criticast. Bye, guys. Thanks for watching this episode of Criticast. Make sure to follow and subscribe, depending on where you are, for all upcoming episodes of the podcast. If you're on YouTube, let us know your thoughts about this episode and the topic that we chose down in the comments. Also, make sure to go follow us everywhere it matters. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we got it all. And go check out our website for exclusive content. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you guys next time on the Criticast. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> my